Welcome to Teaching Restored. This is the first real episode of Teaching Restored. The other I'm one Kevin was Jones. fake. But the other one was fake, yes. <laughs> I'm Kevin Jones. I'm Julie Hilliard. Yes, you are. It's beautiful. All right. So this first one, this first one, actually, let me start off with a story. I've got a little story for you, Julie. Okay, I want to hear it. We, we all have those moments in life whether we were young or whether it was recently that kind of stick with us forever and they kind of define maybe who we are or what we do to some degree or why we do things. I had a moment like that when I was about eight and I remember exactly where I was. I remember I was outside. I think I was probably working with my dad in the driveway or something like that. But my dad and I were talking and my dad said, he said, Kevin, what what do you think life would be like if each morning when you woke up and you turned on the water, it was a different temperature? And I was like, what? Huh? <laughs> um, well, Could that, I adjust back, Dad? What are the criteria here? Yeah, and, 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 I, and, and I thought, well, that wouldn't happen. And he goes, yeah, but what if it did? I mean, you know, one morning it was pretty much freezing. The next morning it's hot as all get out. And then the next one, it's just tempered. And you, you never knew what it was going to be each day. And the reason that hit me hard, I mean, that seems like a silly question. But the reason it hit me hard was that was the first time, I think, that I, that I started to realize that the things that I take for granted might actually not be as solid as I thought they were. I mean, the things, the things that I think are just normal and every day that I just say, yeah, that's the way it is. Maybe I should start questioning that. Well, what if, what, what if this wasn't an everyday normal thing? What if the sun didn't come up at the exact same time every day? I mean, that obviously will happen, but then I started asking myself all these questions and my, my mind went into kind of another realm of, hmm, this, I, I've taken way too much for granted mm. and just assumed way too much. And I think that was the first time that I realized that, and, and I, and I kind of meta realized this later on, that a question had such a profound effect on me. And since then, I've kind of watched that. I've watched questions be a huge part of my life and um and not only in teaching but also just change who i am even if i don't have an answer for it I, so just the asking of it you mean yeah. like the asking of questions is changing who you are yeah 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 i i a lot of times there are questions that i just don't have answers for but oh my goodness maybe i need to have an answer for that or you know maybe it takes me down another thought road at the same yeah. time. I think that but, applies a lot to the gospel. Like I, when you say things that we don't question, I spent a lot of my life not questioning things about the gospel. Like I just, the things that I assumed were true, I didn't think were up for question. Right. And yeah, you even think that like, like you were saying, I mean, there, I didn't realize how many things related to the gospel I had that kind of paradigm about. Right. And, and it's all, so one of the things about questions and the gospel, I think that is, as we talk about the subject, 
I think a lot of teachers, as we teach our families, as we teach in callings, as we teach others, that we don't want people to question. Uh-huh. And I'm of the thought, yeah, we do. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Please, please have them question. But you want, at the same time, you want to help guide their questions to be productive questions. Questions that they're ready for, right? And that fuel faith versus absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And said in the right way. And and there are different ways. So anyways, so I've been, um, one of the things I speak on professionally is questions and how to ask questions. And so go ahead. I have a thought. I just have this thought. So one of the things that I oftentimes start my classes with (laughs) is an invitation to ask questions. And I frame it this way. And Stephen Covey used to do this. He talks about how we all have a circle of knowledge and where do I put it? Um, we all have a circle of knowledge and we can only ask a question that is on the outside edge of our circle of knowledge. So if mm. you understand calculus, this much about calculus, you can't ask a question, you know, way out in the periphery related to calculus because you don't know enough to ask it. That's great. And so the way that we expand our circle of knowledge is by asking questions that are on the outside edge of it, because the minute you get an answer to that question, you've expanded it ever so slightly. And so that literally the way that we expand our circle of knowledge is through the asking of questions. That's great. Now, what happens? Let me ask you this. I think I know my answer, but tell me if you have the circle of knowledge and you ask a question that's way out of it, Mm -hmm. what's the effect on the person that it was asked to? I think it's discouraging. Okay. I think it's not only discouraging, but it also, sometimes it can inspire them to search more and more and more. Sure. But I think that you as a teacher have to be careful that we're asking questions that push, but aren't way out here that push because they're right here and that are a stretch, not, they don't require a slingshot because in the gospel, just like everything else, we learn line upon line. And so asking of questions requires us to kind of follow that same pattern of teaching line upon line through questions. Would you agree or is it different for you? No, I actually had a different answer, but I absolutely agree with that. That can absolutely be one of the, it can, can absolutely be discouraging. Okay, but tell me your different answer. My, my other answer would be that if it's so far out, that they just ignore it, that they don't even consider it. Oh yeah, I would agree with that. And they and they might lose yes. trust in the person asking the question because it's like, why are you asking me that question? That's whatever. And they, they tune out. It feels like a chasm. It needs to yes. be a gap. Like yep. you can bridge a gap, but you can't bridge a chasm. So good. Yes, absolutely. Except you probably can, but you know what I mean. Yes, Figuratively. I do. <laughs> a knowledge chasm. The knowledge. Yes. So anyway, so um, so uh, in in doing all of this, thinking about questions. I've come up with kind of a framework of questions and I wanted to do something with this professionally. And, but my first thing was, no, you need to write a book. I I felt inspired to write a book about how to teach the gospel using questions. And so I'm almost done with the book and I'm excited about that, but I want to kind of just go over the questions that I have now. Okay. So to introduce this, Julie, Most people, when they think about questions and when they're told how to ask questions, they say that there are two types of questions. Do you know where I'm going with this? Two, do you you know what they're taught? Yeah, like open-ended and like closed-ended. Closed-ended, right? Yeah. Open-ended and closed-ended. 
And that's true to a degree. I want to dive in a little bit more. I think that's a that's a good surface level answer. I want right. to dive in a little bit more and talk about those two and expand them. Yeah. So the first question, what we would typically call the closed ended question is I'm going to change that to binary, a binary question, binary being one or the other. So when we think of a closed ended question, usually it's yes or no but it doesn't have to be yes or no it could be is it light or is it dark that's a binary question but it only has two choices to choose from they have you do that a lot when you are working with kids who have special needs because sure. they can't really think outside of the options so it's like this one or this one yeah yeah it's very common now let me let me ask you this out of the let, let's let's go back to closed-ended and open-ended questions okay. Would you would you say that you have seen a lot of people say stay away from binary questions? Oh yeah. Did you know that that was a binary question right there? Wait, stay away from. But it wasn't a question. You didn't ask. But it would you would you say that people d say? Oh that yeah, you did. Say, that was the did, question. Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't even. Okay, um, you tricked me. Oh. Uh -huh. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, really, people say stay away from binary questions or sorry, closed ended questions. We need to ask open ended questions. Isn't that? But that was yeah. OK. Right. OK. So they play a role is what you're saying. They, they play a huge role. Oh, my goodness. Binary questions can be incredibly powerful. Now, as we go through these different kinds of questions, there can be an order in these or there might be a hierarchy depending on the co uh, context. But overall, there isn't that one isn't better than another. They're just used at different times and in different ways and in different orders. So just, yeah, exactly. So I think everyone needs to keep that in mind. It's not just, you know, hierarchical. We can use these interchangeably. So binary questions, um, they can be used poorly as in, um, when you pray, who do you pray to? You know, Jesus or Heavenly Father. You pray to Heavenly Father. And and those kind of questions, I mean, if you're asking a small child, that might be enlightening. If you're asking teenagers or adults, what what is the effect of what is the effect of asking a binary question in that in that way, Julie? Okay, so you know what came to mind is that what? my husband hates it when I ask him binary questions because, so you asked what the effect is, because it makes him feel like I'm leaving him or manipulating him sure. or it, that there are no other options. Oh, so you're telling me that these are the only two options? Well, what if I don't like either option? Good, yeah. You know, I do the same thing. And whenever I do that, my kids say, dad, just tell me the answer. <laughs> I know, right? You're looking for a specific answer. And so there's like no... All you're doing is thinking not what is the actual answer. You're thinking, what do they want me to say? Right, right. But obviously you can use binary questions in very, uh, in other ways. It's not just as a leading question, although you can use it as a leading question and use it very well for that too. Well, but it also can be instructive, but it can also be to like see if people are tracking with you, right? Is that kind yes. of what you're getting at some of the purposes? Absolutely, yeah. You know, are you on the same page as I am? I mean, does this make sense? Right. Right. Do you get that, right? Yeah, okay, great. That's a, Those are binary questions, yes. I went through the scriptures and found some binary questions that Jesus asked. 
And some of them are pretty powerful. Um, one of them, he says, which is it easier or which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. Hey, give some references because I know that people like to hear references okay. when. So this is the one, this is the story of the man with palsy who was brought yep. through the roof down and he's in front of all these people. And he says, your sins, son, thy sins are forgiven thee, something like that. And the people there are balking saying, you can't do that. You can't. And then he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. So he's asking which one is better. That is a binary question. And it's an incredible binary question as well. Because the bigger miracle in, in by sight would be to say, get up and walk. If he were to say, your sins are forgiven you, you can't prove that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, no, no one's going to see oh, my sins are forgiven. They're not going to notice that. Right. Um, so they would almost think that the bigger, bigger miracles to get up and walk. So he's saying, so which one is, was it, is it actually? So that's a, that was a fabulous question there. Okay, um, give a reference though, Kevin, give a scripture. Oh, reference. oh, sorry. Matthew nine, five. Thank you. Perfect. Sorry. Matthew. I just know that I like to be able to go back and look at it and study it when I hear you. Talk I appreciate about it. that. Thank you. So that's that's just one of many. Uh, oh, one of the ones that uh, come follow me. We learned recently. Um, right. Oh, and I don't have this. I don't have the reference for this. I didn't write that down for some reason. Uh, but this you. but this verse is. But Jesus said unto him, Judas. Are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Oh, I can find it probably. But anyway, that's right. Matthew, but Mark, you know, Luke, John. Even as you're saying these, even as you're listing these out, I sometimes skip over the binary questions as questions at all. Sure. Like, I almost just think, oh, he's teaching. Like, I forget that there was like a question embedded in that. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the most powerful questions, binary questions, is what missionaries do. They mm -hmm. teach all these principles. They, you know, talk and then they say, will you come to church? Invitations yes, no. are binary questions. A lot of the time. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And if you're teaching, like if you are a missionary, you always invite people to do something because to know and not to do is really not to know. And so if what they're learning doesn't change their behavior, then it's, it's moot. Like it yes. doesn't, doesn't yield anything. And so literally the most important question as a missionary is a binary question. That is so interesting. Yeah. I, so, so, so these closed ended questions, these binary questions can actually be very, very powerful when used at the right times. You've unraveled the bad rap. That's the right. On my brain. That's that they, they have had a bad rap for a very long time and I'm here to set them free. <laughs> <laughs> the powerful moment. That's right. Good. So yes. Okay. Thank you. So that's the first question type of question. Now, the second type of question starts to get into more of an open-ended question, but there are varying types of open-ended questions. The first type of open question is the factual. And the factual is more along the lines of um, who, for example, who said this quote? And you may quote something, oh, that was Joseph Smith, or that was Brigham Young or Jesus or whomever. And and it's there is a correct answer with a factual, yeah. but it's not choosing, it's not a multiple choice. 
it it is an open-ended but here you go um i'm gonna let you figure out what the answer is kind of question um so what like what purpose does that serve then is it testing people's knowledge is that appropriate to do that is that is absolutely one way to use it is to you know to test knowledge yes but it can also be used in in a kind of leading up to something bigger and okay. we're going to see this as we go along we have to understand what do you understand one of the what a quote i love i've heard elder bednar say this many many times but you have to know what they know before you can teach them anything because like we're talking about that circle right if we right, ask right. if we start teaching them something way out of that circle it's not gonna the, the bridge to get there isn't there so you have to teach them something right out of that so that you know where to start and i don't I, i've i've seen many times where a teacher or a missionary or parents me i've done it i've started started teaching and my son or daughter they're not ready to learn that yet right you know what's interesting so this is something that has been um like i think of it as kind of being rude if you will where i'm like I'm quizzing you as I teach you. And mm -hmm. it feels kind of whatever, you know, kind of putting people on the spot-ish when I think about a factual question. Interestingly, I was called to teach the seniors, like the seniors in high school mm -hmm. in our ward. And I was teaching the exact same thing that I was teaching to the adult religion class. And so gotcha. I would just kind of bring my same lesson. And I had, I, I missed the mark the first couple of times because I didn't start by asking them what they already understood, which was factual questions, right? That's how you kind of gauge their level of understanding. And so I kind of missed the mark. And I found out that when I started the class with factual questions about what they'd learned in seminary that week, not open-ended, but like really saying, you know, did you talk about, tell me, tell me about, you know, the binary first, did you talk about I realize I'm making very good. <laughs> and I'm saying like I started to ask them some factual questions to gauge where they were. I completely had to change my lesson. Mm, sure. And that was a little bit surprising to me because I made some assumptions because of the fact that they were going to seminary that it was being retained. Yes. And I'm not bash at all. These are the most bright, intelligent, lovely, incredible seniors but I had to really ask some of those questions to be able to not like miss the relationship completely or miss, miss the mark completely. Like I was not connecting with them without first asking some of those factual questions to gauge understanding. That's great. Yes, ab absolutely. That's one of the things that you have to do is, is gauge that learning. Um, yeah. Another thing, another way this can be used. So there's a thing called, I don't know if you've heard of this single loop learning and double loop learning. Have you heard of that before? Please okay. describe. So a single loop learning is when you're asked a question, you have an already established assumption, and so you answer it off of that assumption. Double loop. It is a, wait, 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 pause. The person answering it answers it off of that assumption? Correct, yes. Okay, okay. Double loop is where you go back and you challenge the assumption for which you would answer it, before you give the answer like in your mind the person answering it challenges their assumption first so they think about it a little bit and then they answer yes yes is that the double loop that happens in the brain you got it that's it that's exactly it now 
I say this and I apologize. I do not right off the top of my head. I don't have a great example, but let me give you kind of the context of where this could be used, where let's say you're teaching a bunch of youth or you're teaching some kids and the assumption has always been, and everyone just knows that this is the way it works, right? Or this is what happened. And you say, well, tell me what happened, this and this and this. And then you actually go backwards and ask a binary question and say, are you sure it really worked that way? Are, 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 are you sure about that? Yeah. Then they have to wait. Well, well, yeah, um, right. <laughs> and then they start challenging that assumption. And then you, for example, then you open up your the scriptures and say, actually, doesn't it say this right here? So what does that mean? And yeah, yeah, yeah. then it completely changes their view of that topic or that principle or whatever it may be. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. So you're saying that you can ask a factual question that has an actual answer, but then by adding a binary question, you could potentially turn it into some of that double loop learning, which causes people to actually challenge their own assumptions related to that fact. There you go. And I think some of the best learning happens when we challenge those assumptions. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Like I'm trying to think of it, as you're saying it, you said you couldn't really come up with an example, but I... I can remember times in class where somebody's regurgitated the information. Oh, okay. So we've had really hard conversations related to some issues um, with church policy around um, homosexuality. And so, you know, back in that time, and as we're having these discussions, somebody will state something as a fact. And we purposefully within this class go back and challenge those assumptions and we we've asked a factual question to get the information but realized during that that people's understanding of the information actually if i could say it even this way people's um story about what truth is mm. differs sure. and so we are learning to challenge our own assumptions about truth and we do that through that. Are you sure? And then, you know, going a little bit deeper and asking some questions that are outside of the two categories that you've presented thus far. But that's so interesting. I found myself doing that a lot in an effort to actually cause us to challenge ourselves. That's great. I love that. Okay. Am I understanding it right though? Yeah. Yeah, you are. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, what was coming to my mind was last night i hadn't thought about this but last night the kids and i and my wife our whole family the kids and i and our, my wife that would be our whole family <laughs> so just to make that clear you know our whole family we were taught we were having uh we we're doing come follow me we we're talking about the resurrection um and i asked who was who was who was resurrected they're like well jesus was resurrected i said who else no one else was resurrected i mean Jesus was resurrected. I said, and then I went backwards to the binary question. Was there anyone else that was resurrected? They're like, no. And I said, well, let's actually turn to the scriptures. And it says that the graves of the saints were opened and they went and went about and talked to many there. They're like, what? I've never seen that before. What? More people than just Jesus were res was resurrected? Yeah. It doesn't talk. It has like two verses 
where it talks about that. And, and their minds were blown. It was great. You know, what's interesting is that I'm just, this is kind of just coming to my mind as you're saying this. I actually think that is so much more powerful than you just saying. And there were other people resurrected at the same time. Right. Yes. That's, that's so that's so interesting that asking people questions that causes them to challenge, that's going to stick with your kids in a totally different way than it would if you just fed them the information. Right. And the reason I think that is because it's very experiential for right. them. You're letting them have the experience rather than putting the experience on them. You're letting them go through the experience naturally and work it out in their minds. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And challenge their own assumptions. That's it. Absolutely. So ah, hey, you didn't have an example. Whatever. I did. guess I did. I lied. I do that. So factuals a lot of times start with who, what, when, where, why, how. Those are a lot of not always, but, you know, those are a lot of the factual ones. So right. the next one is where you get a little bit deeper and there are they are explanatory questions where you don't say there isn't a right or wrong answer it there could be several answers right or wrong answers there could be right. no right answer and it's an opinion okay but it's more or it's you know tell me the story of this that is a can you can you please tell me how this happened great yeah. i'm going to explain it to you and then right. they go through and explain it that has a very different place than asking a factual question. Off the top of your head, can you think of explanatory questions that you may have used in your class? Yeah, I will. So just the question that you just asked right now sounded like you were asking somebody to explain a story, which does have more of a right or wrong answer to it, right? Because if they mess up all of the facts of the story in the scriptures, you're going to be like, let's correct that. But you said just before this, that everyone has their own. Okay, that's what I was going to say, okay, okay. <laughs> what you're getting at from the explanatory question is their interpretation. Yes, of the story, exactly. Correct? Yes. And so in an explanatory question that I might ask in my class has to do with what is your perception of, or tell me about. Yes. Um, would asking people if they have an experience with it be part of that? Or is that going to be a different category? Like have you ever, you know, so, how have you applied this in the past? Right. Yeah, you know, that that's that is explanatory. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've asked a lot of those. I think I ask explanatory questions most naturally. Okay. I think because I'm constantly at. Mm, no, I don't. I I ask other, but I this one comes pretty naturally to me because I feel like an explanatory question. Tell me if I'm wrong, is not just really getting at the like the information, like we talked about how when you're asking a factual question, you're trying to gauge their level of understanding. I think explanatory questions do that on an even deeper level. Yes. Because you're asking not just do you know the facts, but you're asking their perception of it. Yes. A bit. Yes, Right. absolutely. Their view of it, their uh, perception of it, all of those. That is true. Yes. Um, okay. and, and so when you're asking explanatory questions, it's also part of the understanding where they're coming from. How much do you know? So you can ask a uh, an explanatory, you can ask a factual question and then maybe dive a little bit deeper. Um, what do you what do you know about that story? Right? Or would you ask what do you think about? Yeah. Like yeah, you were absolutely. 
that would fall into that category too. So yeah. you could ask a factual question, you know, like, you know, what date did such and such happen? Well, what do you think about when you consider that event or yes. what comes to mind when you, right? So you're kind of taking it a step further. Yep. Absolutely. Let me get to some, uh, as a teacher, when you're asking an explanatory question, do you have an answer that you're hoping people will come up with? Not all the time. Sometimes, right. sometimes I, I would probably actually say a majority of the time, yes. But if they don't, I love that. I okay. love it even more when they come up with something that I'm not expecting. It doesn't derail you? No. Okay. Oh, no. No, no, no. Because I, I love to take that and say, okay, well, let's. Let's go in that direction. Let's talk more about that because that's what they're ready for. And that's yeah. and that's one of the wonderful things about gauging where people are at. When they give you an, a, a, an answer that you weren't ready for, that's a good indication that they're ready for that though. And maybe maybe we need to go down that path instead of what I was had actually prepared. So I hear you saying that that kind of flexibility is super important. That I say to my class all the time, I'm like, this is a choose your own adventure. If you are going to share something that's going to lead us in a different direction, then let's go in a different direction. And I'm cool with that. But I will tell you, it makes me insecure. And I bet a lot of people who, you know, are listening are like, wait a minute, like you're putting me into a really vulnerable space by suggesting that there's going to be a, that I need to go where they go in response to an explanatory question that could lead me somewhere other mm -hmm. than where I planned to go. Right. So let me give you my view on it. And maybe this will help. Maybe it won't. If someone gives an answer that I'm not expecting, then all I have to do is continue to ask questions. It's not me teaching. At this point, you can actually start to have them do the teaching because of their answers. So, okay. so it's not as it's 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 not as intimidating for me because when I ask them these questions and they start teaching, they also start learning from themselves. And then maybe that starts a discussion and other people are throwing things in as well. And who cares about what I'd prepared? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe, maybe we're not gonna get to all of it. Who cares? But yeah. they want to talk about this. And obviously, if they're starting to go off on trains all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, maybe we need to. <laughs> We're not here to talk about trains, but yeah. let's bring that back in. But at the same time, it can be really instructive to understand what they need to learn and where they're going. And then just kind of ask more questions and let them run with it. That's how I kind of look at it. And I, I so I don't I don't get intimidated by it. Okay. I think we need to acknowledge though that some people do. Oh, absolutely. I think like, I, probably okay. most people do. But what, what I hear you saying is that rather than being afraid of what direction it goes in, your role is really to invite the discussion. And so you are a participant as much as you are a yes. leader, or, leader right. or guider. And so asking more questions can often be just as powerful as having the content to support whatever it is that you're talking about. Right. In and fact, there are people in the back of their mind, they're like, oh, but I did so much work and I prepared so much and I was guided by the spirit as I was preparing. And I, I that's hard to let go of. So I think we just need is. to acknowledge the fact that we're getting into kind of like uncomfortable space and it's okay to step into discomfort when it comes to, you know, like doing it right. Right. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh-huh. 
because I am uncomfortable a lot when I'm teaching. Yeah. And I leave teaching good, literally just exhausted. And I, yes, I often go and play pickleball right after my class and, and my worst it. pickleball games or, are right then. I'm so tired because I'm so <laughs> mentally exhausted from trying to really be open and it's exhausting. It is exhausting. Be prepared. Well, even if you're really prepared, yeah. I mean, seriously, if you even if you're prepared, that can be absolutely exhausting, especially if they take this and go a different direction. Totally. That's what I'm talking about. I like when they do go in a different yeah. direction, you're like, oh, you're depleted as you're really trying to do that. So I need to acknowledge as we're at this juncture that it is hard and that it can feel really scary. And that's totally OK. Yep. Yes. Please let it be OK. Yeah. Good. Thank you. All right. So that's the explanatory. I'm going to explain something. It sounds good. Let me look at. Um, oh, that's kind of a longer story. I won't get into that. Okay. Anyways. So after explanatory. What was that? Did I make you skip a story? No, 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 not at all. I was just no. looking at some of my notes um, and some of the stuff I've written for the book that goes yep. into like a big, long explanation of how Jesus did all these explanatory questions. And anyways, I won't get so into that now. Ask them a lot. Say that again. Sorry. Are you just saying then you're going to leave it at Jesus asked explanatory questions a lot? He did. Okay. There you go. <laughs> so the next one, the next one is one of my favorite types of questions because this is where the spirit comes in and it's an introspective question. So let's say you ask a binary question. Do you know about this? Oh, yeah. Well, tell me a bit about it. And then they start explaining it. And then you ask a question like, so how has applying that principle brought you closer to Jesus Christ? All of a sudden, with an introspective question, when you're teaching the gospel, this is where they get a chance to not only tell you what's going on in their mind and in their heart, but when they do, they're bearing their testimony and they don't even know it. And if you can get people to bear their testimony in a story or in something, Oh my goodness, the spirit's going to be there. It's going to happen. Um, this is really powerful for so many reasons, but I, I love missionary work overall. Awesome for missionary work. You start asking them questions, get them to a point, and then you say, okay, tell me what your life would be like if you had the Holy Ghost with you all the time. How would you feel and what would you do? Then they start thinking about it and almost there's a pause a lot of times because they have to think about it and you can tell it's going not only into their mind, but also into their heart and they start speaking from the heart mm -hmm. that those are the most, for me, some of the most powerful moments in teaching right there. So is the primary difference between the two that explanatory gets in what, at what's in your head and introspective gets at what's in your heart? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. That okay. is spot on. I, I think what I'm also hearing you say is that people don't, you like to know and not to do is really not to know. People don't really know something that inspires them to change. They know something. Yeah. There's a big difference. Pointing at my heart versus my head. Right. Right. I and, know how to drive a stick. Yeah. But knowing how to drive a stick is completely different than being told how to drive a stick. Right. So what you're, causing people to do is maybe reflect on having an experience with the principle or reflect yes. on what it would be like to, if they haven't already have an experience with whatever it is that you're teaching. Exactly. 
to get a lot more personal than this is, you know, technically this is how it works or this is what was done. Or you could, you could say, all right, tell me the story about this. Well, what do you think uh, Jesus was thinking in that moment? That's an explanatory question. Well, I think that, you know, this is my opinion. And then what would you do or how would you feel if you were there? And how would you react? Then we start to get more introspective in that way because they have to start putting themselves in that and thinking, oh, well, you know, that would have been a bit jarring. I, I don't know that I, hmm, I never thought about that before. What would it have been like if, if I had been there? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? You know, one of the things that is popping into my head, and you can tell me if we need to shelve this because it may take us in a different place, but in order for people to feel safe answering introspective questions in that space in a very honest way, you have to have done some pre-work to to create a safe space. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. And you like can- I'm in one of our next episodes, I know for sure we're going to talk about how to respond to people's answers to Good. introspective questions so that they continue to feel like they can share more. Right. Because introspective questions in my mind, it's not just a single answer and you move on. But oftentimes when I'm sitting in a class and they ask that question, there's this silence. And the teacher gets uncomfortable. And so he or she starts to move on really quickly because this is the space where you're just standing. So you have to be uncomfortable in the silence. And just because one person answered does not mean that that's your opportunity to just cue it forward and keep going. Yes. Like that. this is the space you actually want to hang out in, right? Yes. Yeah. If you could, if in a gospel, in, in a gospel learning, if you can just hang, I love that. I have never thought about that before, but if you can hang out in this space, the spirit will be there and the spirit will be doing the teaching. It's an, it's absolutely incredible, but you can't jump to this. You can't okay. all of a sudden, boom. Explain that more. You can't jump to it. Like you're, are you telling me that these types of questions are in a way sequential? I mean, you can jump around a little, mm-hmm. but if you can't jump to it, are you saying that you have to ask some of the other questions to actually get there? Uh, a, a, most of the times I would say yes, but that doesn't mean that you can't jump back to a binary question because, or, or a factual question or one of the others, because you could, you could be in a, in a moment where the spirit's there and it's touching their lives. And then you ask, what are you going to do about what you just learned? That's not an introspective question anymore. Or I guess, it, 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 I guess it, it, I guess it could be right? right. Well, but I was thinking you follow up an introspective question after you've stayed in it, after you've hung out in that space for a while with a binary question, which is an invitation. Usually. An invitation. Yes. Yeah. So you go back to it. But I, I think that there's something really profound in what you're saying that in order, part of what creates the environment where people will be willing to share the answer, a true, honest answer, authentic answer to an introspective question, you have to have done primed the pump with yes. the first yeah. three types. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because if you dive into an introspective question and they're not ready for it, yeah. Emotionally and spiritually, they're going to be like, uh, I'm to dive into my like, personal feelings. Yeah. What? Like, I mean, I, it's interesting because I've actually had classes where I have felt there's something really loud in the background. So I'm just going to kind oh. of, somebody started like weed whacking. <laughs> Sorry. We're really real over here. It was just getting really loud. real. Yeah. Um, I think that I've, I've been in classes. I actually, I can tell you exactly where it was we had a group of sisters come into Relief Society um, and they jumped, they were 
teaching as guests um, that day. And um, I mean, I'll even say that it was the Stake Relief Society presidency. I love these women. They have the most pure hearts of anybody you can imagine. And I came to Relief Society that day mad at the world. Um, and I think sometimes we become upset. Like I was upset because my life felt really hard and I was comparing my life to other people's lives. And I was kind of, what was me? I have, you know, we all have pity parties. I don't like yes, to hang out. So I came um, in the middle of my party to Relief Society that day and they sat up in the front and they started asking introspective questions. Mm. And I stared at them like this. <laughs> I, I really did. I was mad about it. I could not even bring myself to share. I love these women. They are some of my dearest friends. But it was interesting that even I who love them, I couldn't even participate. Sure. Because I felt shut off. I'm like, why? Like, you can't just dive in and ask me to bear my soul in here. My heart is breaking. Like I was in, I had a pretty broken heart that day. And I needed to feel the spirit so badly. And I was so mad. And so I think that you actually can almost like sabotage yourself yes. by going straight to these yes. questions. Because people need to feel like, hey, I'm investing in you, not I'm trying to just like create, it almost feels manipulative. And these women are not manipulative, please. I have to be so clear that they have the best hearts in the world, but even me who loves them dearly was put off by and struggling to have any ounce of participation that day. That's a fabulous example. Yeah, absolutely. That That's exactly what it is. And so if you don't create that space and, and it's with each person and, Let's say that you have some people like you who come and they're like, oh, I don't want to be here. They're and then grumpy. Have, grumpy? What? Grumpy Never. Like Never. Uh, yeah, I didn't say you are grumpy, but in that, that one moment that you were grumpy, which never happens. <laughs> but <laughs> let's, say, let's say you have someone who is grumpy and then someone who comes in and they're just feeling the spirit and they're ready for the introspective questions. You kind of have to stay, take a step back and let's ask a few of these other questions and still prime the pump to get them to that point. And the other people will be fine with that as well. Totally. Um, but if again, if you you're right, if you just jump into the introspective questions, I think about teaching uh, teenagers. Yeah. Oh my goodness! If you just jumped into an, into an introspective question, you've lost them. Goodbye. I know. They get home from school and you're like, tell me how you feel the Holy Ghost during the day. Tell me about that experience. Can you give me an example? They're like, what the mom? She's walking the door. I mean, and that's a little bit what people feel like when they're transitioning. That's great. Their classroom, right? Yes, yes, yes. There are yes. transitions. And so I, I think that part of what we're saying here is that these questions help with the transition. Yeah. And, but, and then the result of introspective questions is for them obviously to feel the spirit and have the spirit teach them, but to come away deeper, to come away with a deeper testimony, to come away having, realizing, oh, I need to act on this or having their heart touched in some way. And that's really, honestly, when we talk about teaching, the whole purpose of teaching the gospel is to get really to that point where the yeah. spirit touches them and tells them what to do and helps them have a stronger testimony of Jesus Christ and the restored gospel. That's it. That's what we're trying to do. If we're just up there teaching facts and answer, asking simple questions, we're not actually getting to what we're trying, what their whole purpose is. Right. Right. And so if we skip them, 
Like if we don't ever get to them, we've literally like not even gotten to what the point is. Right. And I want to make the point that this is a really vulnerable space to hang out in as well. Yes. That when you are even asking of questions, even more than an explanatory question, you don't know what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. And you literally have to step into whatever space that answer takes you to. Yes. And you never know where it's going to go. There have, there have been times where I have asked an introspective question. And by the way, these are the questions that I spend the most time thinking about prior to class. Uh, absolutely. That, that the, the, you're right. This should take a lot of your time in trying to come up with these great questions, uh, the yes. introspective ones. That's yes. More than content. Yes. More than content. Yes. Um, I remember somebody sharing a, a very beautiful and vulnerable experience. And I, I almost felt overwhelmed trying mm. to, to respond to that. And so one of the things that I think is really important to acknowledge is that we will talk about how to respond when people give you answers that you don't expect or that you are a little overwhelmed by and how to continue to stay in the space without feeling yourself like it's like it can kind of just it's scary yes. it's uncomfortable and sometimes it's perfectly comfortable and beautiful and amazing but other times it's not and so this even more than explanatory questions it requires something of you. You can botch it when you have asked an introspective question if you don't respond appropriately to it. That's you can a great botch point. It. Well, I'm excited to learn about responding as well. That, that's going to be a great episode. But it really, that's, I've been thinking about it. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so that's introspective questions. Now, the last type of question is, is, is much, much shorter explanation. It's one of those questions that when you get asked it, you never forget it. And it's just, and it's life changing. And there's a lot, there may not be an answer. It's a transformative question. It's one of those, like, like when my dad asked me that question at the beginning, yes. oh my goodness, it completely changed the way I thought there wasn't really an answer for it, but I will never forget it. Okay. Let me ask you. Can you think of a question or a moment in time when someone has said something or uh, could, could tra transform, there are transformative questions, but there can just be transformative moments as well, where it doesn't have to have a question in and of itself. But can you think of a time, and I'm putting you on the spot, Julie, mm -hmm. where you've had a transformative moment that you'll never forget that has completely changed the way you thought? Yes, actually I can. Um, and you know what, you are putting me on the spot because we never talked about this before. And so this is, <laughs> there is, when Todd and I first um, were dating, we were a little bit older um, in like he was 33 and I was 30 when we got married. I say a little bit older, hello, it's not old at all, but culturally. So, gotcha. um, and we both dated a long time and we both had these successful careers and we had a lot of failed relationships. And I remember, um, this is before we got married, um, we were talking more seriously about our relationship and Todd um, asked, he said to me, you know, I have a holy of holies emotionally. Like there are some things that are in my heart that I would call my holy of holy space. And, you know, you can imagine like that. what that looks like. Sure. And um, there came a point in our relationship where he asked me, what is in your holy of holies? And that was really... Mm. 
you know, I was at the point in my relationship where I wanted to invite him into that holy of holy space. And that was really profound. And so now, like, I remember his holy of holy things, and they are things that we don't talk about with anybody else at all. Like, they are sacred. They're a part of, you know, what makes our relationship so emotionally intimate. And that, that to me, was a transformative moment in our relationship. I love that. And you'll never forget those. No way. No. No, I love it. I had, I'll, I'll give you one quick example. Um, this isn't gospel related, but it was one of those transformative times. I was managing probably like 30 different uh, engineers at this company. And we needed to get rid of one of these engineers. It was, uh, they, he needed to be gone from the company. And so I was working with HR, which was in another state, and they were taking a long time, and they were just a pain in the fanny. So I didn't quite go by protocol. I sidestepped some things. It was still legal, just not the way that they wanted it done. And Oopsie. they caught up to me. <laughs> They're like, whoa, what's going on? And I think I, if I remember correctly, I, I got a voicemail and they were livid they, that I had done what I had done, but I needed it done and they weren't helping me out here. So I went to my Red boss. What was that? The red tape is so inefficient. I, I know so it. No kidding. Right. And so I went to my boss and I was freaking out saying, um, oh my goodness. Oh, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen from this, but I'm in big trouble from, you know, from HR. And he goes, slow down. Hold on. Hold on, Kevin. Tell me, is what happened, will it make it so that my daughters can't go to college? I said, no. He said, will it make it so that the Red Sox won't win the World Series? <laughs> I said, no. And he goes, then we're going to be able to deal with it. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. I was so far, I just, I hadn't put into perspective like that. I hadn't had a moment like that. I mean, that was, I will never forget that. That completely changed the way I react to things coming up that may be potentially freak outish, right. which is another word. Or word just justifiably, right? That you're right. justified freaking out about. Right, right. So that. of that question. Sorry? I said you run them through the filter of those questions. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love it. So that is the transformative question. So those are the five types of questions. And by the way, these rarely happen. It, you really can't make these happen with someone else. It just happens or it doesn't happen with the person to become a transformative question. It's really, really difficult to like have a whole group have the same transformative moment in the same way because they're all coming at it from different perspectives. And so it's not going to be the same. So it's really an individual individualistic, individualized, whatever moment. Wouldn't it be safe to say that the transformative, that questions become transformative only through the Holy Ghost? Like you have no control over that. Yeah. Because I mean, even what you're talking about, it that was probably you getting a little bit of perspective informed yeah. by the spirit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so- it's a good point. I, I hear you saying kind of through what you just said that we don't try and create transformative questions. Right. Like that's not in our wheelhouse. We're not able to do that. It literally happens outside of us. Yeah, they it, it will come to them. 
and it will be one of their moments. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So those are the five types of questions and the way that they're used in teaching moments with your, they can be used with the family. They can be used in missionary work. They can be used a seminary. They can be used in, in every type of teaching. They can be used outside of teaching the gospel as well. It's, as I've gone through this, it's been an incredible journey to learn more about these types of questions and when you can't, and then the strengths and weaknesses of each, when you use one, when you use another, do you use them in order? I mean, there's so many different things behind it, but um, I don't know. It's one of my favorite things to dive into, topics to dive into and find out when you can use it and how to use them effectively. And tell me we're going to dive deeper into them. Yes, we will. Okay, good. Episodes. And the other thing is, do you ever get tripped up? Because you're processing through as you're teaching, you're going, oh, I should probably ask. It. Does it ever get too heady for you or does this kind of happen naturally? It gets too heady for me. <laughs> it, it, although I, it comes much more naturally than it used to. I am okay. much better at it's difficult. OK, so you said you spend most uh, a good majority of your time on transformative questions on coming up as you're preparing for a lesson to figure out what those transformative are. You mean introspective, right? Yeah, sorry. Yes. Introspective yeah. questions, yeah. right? You spend a lot of time in that. Well, a lot of times when you're teaching, you've got to come up with those in the moment right there. There's no planning for those. Yes. That is not easy to do. But as you do it more and more, it becomes more and more natural. And, and so it, I can't expect people to just all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I'm going to ask a transformative question. Because honestly, some of the transformative questions that I come through, and we'll talk about this later, for me to come up you with really good. You're saying transformative. You mean introspective. Oh, goodness. Thank I'm you. I'm just going to call you, Kevin. I'm going to keep you in line. Call me out. Yes. Introspective questions. One of the exercises I go through is, okay, here's an introspective question. How can I make that better? And I'll probably have 20 different versions of it until I get to the one I'm like, okay, that's the introspective question I'm looking for. That's it. But it takes a lot to get there. So you're saying that people could actually spend time revising the introspective questions that they think they're going to ask in preparation for teaching. Like, would this yes. be a valuable exercise for missionaries to do? Yeah. Oh, all the time. In fact, one of the things I love challenging missionaries to do is teaching principles only by only ask, asking questions. Yeah. No, no, here, you know, here's here. No, ask questions and bring it out in them. And that's that exercise is really fun. And hard and hard, <laughs> but hard. very doable. OK. Very do. I mean, I'll tell you that as I've been learning this and talking with you about it, and actually I had to teach it to a group of missionaries. And so I, I was given the topic. And so I came to Kevin and I'm like, help. And I taught it three times because it was teaching the whole mission. And they, for zone conferences, were gathered um, in three different locations. And the first time I was like, okay, this is great. And I kind of started to get into it and I felt good. Holy cow, I learned so much about it as I was asking questions of the missionaries and as they asked questions of me, like it literally was one of those things that by the third time I taught it, it was completely different for me. Mm. Like I, I do think that people, you know, coming and hearing this for the first time, like just process on it, maybe write down a few examples of each one. I wish that, you know, maybe we can at a future date when we dive into them, we'll dive into examples in the scriptures, I hope. Yes. Right. We'll yes, kind of be absolutely. able to 
do some of that because I think that as people start to even just process through what types of questions do I naturally ask? Can I come up with examples of each one? That's an exercise that people could do leaving today that would help them. And then they could say, okay, so in class, I want to make sure that I ask these three introspective questions. And okay, so now could I come up with a better version of each of those questions and rewrite it a few times? So maybe yeah. that's kind of a homework assignment people could walk away with. That's great. And then ask, I like that. And then ask yourself what questions lead up to those introspective questions to put the class in the right space to be able to answer those. Okay, so one of the things that I did, and this might be a great exercise, is a topic that you know you're going to be teaching, whether it's a discussion you're going to have with your kids for Come Follow Me, or you're going to actually teach it in Elders Corn Relief Society, whatever. So, or it's, um, so then take that topic and come up with examples of questions under each category, binary, factual, explanatory, and introspective. Good. I've got, okay, so there, that's one homework. I love that. Let me give one more homework. I want everyone to sit in a class and have a tally, <laughs> have a tally of, of all the different types of questions and then just watch the teacher and just listen. And then when they ask a question, kind of categorize it, categorize it in your mind and make a tally and notice. Because I think we have uh, trend heavy on the binary and the factual and even the explanatory. And we don't really get to the introspective very, very often. Um, and, and not, and we do, we do that to rec to help us recognize we're not doing that to criticize the teacher, right? We're not saying yeah, that stinks. I did it in your class. Dang it. It was so good. So many great introspective questions. I loved it. It was so good. I didn't tell you that, but yes. But I know. I am scared to know. I don't have a clue. What came out like, oh. No, it was so good. You had a great, great balance. You really did. You really had a great balance of all the different types of types of questions and in the right spots, at least according to what I think are, are the right spots. But that's subjective. But when you when you do that, as, as as you take the tally and you start to recognize those, then you start to recognize them in your own teaching. And they're, they're my, and then you can start saying, OK, oh, I asked this question. I need to get a little bit deeper. Maybe I need to ask an introspective question now. And you know the difference now, and so you can you can trend along that line to bring the spirit in to do the teaching. Isn't it interesting how we ha almost have to see something outside of ourselves to be able to learn it yeah. ourselves? Right. So I, I think that that's valuable. But I'm glad you brought up the part about not criticizing the teachers. You guys, <laughs> this is well, a you know you, exercise. you know you could just take that tally and go. Here you go. That's what you did. <laughs> I'm going to recommend you not do that. Yeah. Bad idea, Flip those. Bad idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please don't do that. No, 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 no. So those are the five types of questions. Um, yeah, they can be really powerful. Uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Anything else you want to add, Julie, as we wrap up? No, amen. I can just totally testify to that idea. And I will say that I think that one of the things that is the hardest to do in class is to invite the spirit. And questions are absolutely the best way to do it. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I love that. Okay. Thank you very much, Julie. And I am looking forward to learning more about how to respond because that's one place that I need to be better at is how to respond to questions. I think I do okay, but sometimes when, pe when people answer these, I'm like, 
Shoot, where do I go now? <laughs> I did not expect that. And uh, how? Do, so I'm excited to learn about it. It'll be fun. Okay, thanks. Bye.